who's in and who's out of the Democratic national race. Our savior arrives from across the water to tell us about how wasteful we are, and let's try busing again. All that and more on today's episode of Drawing the Line. Now it's just me today on this Friday night, and I know many of you, or excuse me, <coughs> many of you are wondering, what am, what am I doing? What am, what am I doing on a Friday night? It's 8 o'clock, and I'm here stressing out podcasting when I can be out enjoying the the night you know doing doing what a regular 22 year old would would do on on this kind of night well i'll tell you what it's because i just i just love everyone i just i i'm so passionate about this and i just i just do it i do it for the fans i do i do it for the fans that's that's the real reason i'm here so sitting across the table for me is no one because uh, apparently I have no friends, story story of my life. No, but in all serious, Parker is not going to be able to do the later week podcast. He's got some conflicts. So normally this podcast will come on Thursday, but I I had some I had some technical issues um, last night, and it was too late for me to start fixing it. So I just I, just, I went to bed. I, I confess I went to bed. So we're gonna we're gonna catch up on everything that I want to talk about Thursday and more today but just know that every thursday you will be stuck with me the crazier of the two so hopefully you can stand me long enough to listen because i am just slaving away on my friday night to bring you the best contact content that i possibly can so let's jump right into it with the democratic national race and people are dropping like flies they're dropping like fries. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand was in a bind, and she dropped out Wednesday. So we bid her a fond, a very, a very fond adieu. She was not able to meet the more than 130,000 donors she needed, nor the necessary support in the polls. She basically hovered under 1% the entire time. And in a Hail Mary effort, she spent about $1.5 million on a two-week television campaign to try and get as many donations as she possibly could but unfortunately she will not be joining the other democrats at the third democratic national debate and how, how could this have how could this have happened uh, just just completely astonishing i mean if if kirsten gillibrand isn't in isn't our president who is going to tell white women about their privilege if it's not kirsten gillibrand then who who will it be i don't i don't think any other candidate is is actually actually qualified so interview interview she said i don't know my campaign may have well been ahead of its time there 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 kirsten gillibrand I'll, i'll give you a pat on the back and and wish you on your way yes that is the reason you you were just ahead of your time. Not not that you you seemed kind of a, a little rude and basically only only focused on one one topic the entire time. Like I I understand how you feel about women's rights. Like what about China? Like what what about some other issues? And I I'm not being biased. I do have a problem with Andrew Yang answers every single question with, uh, well they'll, they'll ask what do you do about China, Andrew Yang? Well. First, I start with the $1,000 freedom dividend. Okay, Andrew, I, I get it. I get that's your platform, but, like, come on. There's, there's got to be some more in there. So she, she tweets out, um, or she, she says in any of you, this is Miss Gillibrand, there's a false debate in the party right now. Either you have to be an uber-progressive who can inspire the base, or you have to be a moderate who wins those red and purple areas. I believe you have to do both, and my candidacy is both. No, your your candidacy was not both. You went for the uber progressive. That's clearly seen in the fact that you didn't even break one percent. So you went uber progressive, but this definitely speaks to some much larger truths. There is a choice, right? And for the primaries, especially in the beginning, it was all about who could be as uber as possible 
I, w- I want free college. Well, I, I want free college for people that didn't go to college. Well, I want free everything. Well, I want all the rich people to pay for everything. Well, I want all the rich people and all the middle class people to pay for everything. It it was it was a game of who could who could one up the other person, even if it was the most ridiculous thing. Just 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 one up them. And Joe Biden has historically been trying to skirt that line. He he's more of the moderate vote, and it seems that that he's running this Warren G. Harding back to normalcy campaign, and it's been working okay for him. His greatest enemy is clearly himself, and the gaffes that he makes on a regular on a regular base. He confused what state he was in. He completely just fumbles through a war story. He says he was he was vice president at the time of going over in Afghanistan, and he he wasn't. He was a senator, so that that does not look that does not look good. It basically, a lot of people are trying to say that he's got some maybe some some mental health issues, and I'm not saying like. I'm saying more of like as compared to old age. I don't. I don't really like doing that. I don't. I don't think it was good. I don't think it's good to be discounting someone's intelligence because of, because of age. I didn't like it when they did it to Reagan in his second term, and I don't really like it when they do it to Joe Biden. But it seems like he is his worst enemy at this point, and it's kind of been showing in the polls. It seems that Warren and Sanders are actually in a nice little close tie. Kind of depends on what poll you look at but a tie with Biden. So what does that set up for the next Democratic national debate? I know. I know. You're on your, you're on your, the edge of your seat. I am too. I am incredibly excited. The last Democratic national debate, I had a couple friends over and we played a drinking game. That, that, was, a, that, was, an enjo- that was an enjoyable time. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we, we, greatly, we greatly enjoyed drinking and yelling at the TV. My my parents tried to come and watch the debate, the debate, and th- they had to leave um, because they actually wanted to hear it, and not just my my screaming, <laughs> my screaming at everyone. So, ten people have been announced who will take part in a three-hour-long debate, and that's that's a long <laughs> that's a long time for some of these candidates, especially considering their age, to be standing up. So we've got in the running, Mr. Vice President himself. Joe Biden. We have Cory Booker, who will most definitely just be angry. We have Pete Buttigieg, who is dealing with some pretty, some pretty. Uh, how do I how do I say the how do I say the word? He's he's dealing with some some pretty angry people in South Bend, Indiana, over some policing laws. So he's got his own little Pandora's box that's been opened. Julian Castro, not entirely sure why he's still here. Kamala Harris, of course is going to come out quite aggressively and be afraid that Tulsi Gabbard might be in the audience and chime in. Amy Klobuchar, I'm not entirely sure why she's she might need to throw in the towel, to be honest. Beto O'Rourke is not giving up. There's something to be said for that. I think he's had like two or three relaunch campaigns, so Beto doesn't know who he is or what he's doing. He just knows that he hates Donald Trump. And that's basically his entire pitch. I, I hate Donald Trump. You hate Donald Trump. Vote Beto. That's, that's a basically it. We've got Mr. Mr. Soviet Union himself, Bernie Sanders. Excited. Excited about Mr. Sanders. And the woman with a plan, Elizabeth Warren, who will just have a plan and then just be a dull speaker. And then my boy, who I'm really rooting for, Andrew Yang. And I doubt he'll wear a tie. I know, spoiler alert for many of you out there, I highly doubt he'll wear a tie, which that that seems to be his claim to fame. But I believe that our boy Andrew Yang is the most reasonable of the Democrats, and that is why he will go nowhere. But he seems to be steadily climbing in his polls, um, still pretty low, all things considered. But he seems to be doing well, so I'm happy for Andrew Yang. I hope he I hope he makes it far, but it's it's doubtful. The real race is going to be between Warren Sanders and Biden at this point. I I thought kind of a little bit back that Kamala Harris might have might have been able to inch things out, but after she took that that walloping by 
Tulsi Gabbard. I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure if she's going to be able to recover for this one. But I'm sure in this debate she'll accuse someone of being a racist. Though not implicitly saying, not explicitly saying it. Someone, someone's going to be accused of a, being a racist because that seems to be what her greatest card that she likes to play. So moving on from that, our savior on a multi-million dollar boat has sailed across the Atlantic to free us from CO2. And her name is Greta Thunberg. She is a, if you don't know about her, I'm, I'm sure you do, she is a Swedish, I think she's 15, 16 years old, who is an advocate for climate change. And I don't really have a problem with her being an advocate for climate change. Essentially what she did one day is leave school on a Friday, I think every Friday, and then go protest in front of the Swedish, I think it's called the, right, the Reichstag. I think that's what it's called. But she would protest out there and she would hand out flyers basically saying all the adults were to blame for climate change. We're all going to die. And it's my fault that my children are, I guess, going to die or live underground as mole people because the earth is going to be inhabitable in 10 years. So, hey, if she wants to get out there, she wants to preach a message that she believes in, totally wonderful. However, if this is just some... If she is just some talking mouth for leftist climate change policies, yeah, I do have a problem with that. I, I do have a problem with that. And I do wonder sometimes. Because, hey, I'm not insulting her intelligence, right? I'm, really, I'm not. But I was an idiot when I was 15 years old. Like, I couldn't put two and two together to make four. Like, I, I was not the smartest guy. What was I? I must have been in high school. Yeah, I, I was not the smartest person in the world. So the fact that she is able to get up and give speeches in front of the UN is incredible. Good for her. I, I wonder who writes those speeches, right? I wonder if she actually writes her own speeches. But, hey, it's a big testament to her confidence to actually get up there and, and, and preach about all this. So she was asked about Trump, and it doesn't seem like she's actually going to be talking to President Trump. And she, she says, and I quote, if no one else has been able to convince him about the climate crisis, climate crisis, the urgency, then why should AI be able to do that? And that's according to The Guardian, right? The climate crisis, instead of global warming, we've got global heating. The climate emergency, we're all, we're all going to die. Everyone's going to die. She's basically the small version of AOC. She said on social media, what I would like to ask all of those who question our so-called opinions, quote-unquote, or think that we are extreme is, do you have a different budget for at least a reasonable chance of staying below a 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming? Is there another secret intergovernmental panel on climate change? Okay, sister, hold on. Just because you have a plan and I don't doesn't make you right. I have a plan that we should build lasers to defend against the aliens invading. Do you, do you have a plan to defend against the aliens invading? Well, if you don't, then I'm right, and we should start that. It doesn't matter if it's bad. You, I, just ha I have plans. I have a plan. You don't have a plan, and therefore I'm right. No. Come on, girl. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember. AOC made the same, the same claim, and everybody was like, all right, come on. Come on now. It's not, you're not fooling anyone. That's just not how this works. You don't just get to make a plan. And it suddenly just be able to pass the litmus test and everything's great. So there's best definitely been a rebranding of climate change. And what I what I love what I'd love to ask climate enthusiasts is a simple question. And my simple question is, and I'll I'll, I'll need to do I need to do some writing about my kind of beliefs in climate change because I think there is some stuff happening, and I think it is mainly man-made, right? Um, is it going to be we're all going to die in 10 years? I'm not entirely sure. But my favorite question to ask these so-called climate critics and, and maybe not climate critics, but climate enthusiasts is what are you going to do with all the people that are going to starve to death? And it's not starve to death because climate change. It's starve to death because some of the policies that you're asking for are incredibly expensive. Like if we enact the Green New Deal, that's going to cost us, what, an estimated $14 trillion? That will tank America's economy. That, that's it. It'll tank us. And since the rest of the world basically runs off our economy, it will tank the rest of the world. So 
what do you think is going to happen to all these third world countries? It's it's so interesting because I go I went when I was in school, our teacher showed us this this documentary about the food industry, and showed us kind of like the mass production of chicken, poultry, and beef. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it's hard to watch sometimes. It really is. It really is hard to watch. And a lot of kids are like, oh, how could we? How could this happen? How could we do this? And my question to them is, are you? I don't see you complaining when you go to the grocery store and you get to buy like $5 chicken breasts. Like we've been able, since doing this and mass producing food on this scale, we have been able to let live millions and millions of people. Millions of people have been allowed to live because we've been able to create a surplus of food. And that's evidently seen in third world countries where people are struggling to get by and need cheap food to live so my question to all these climate like radicals extremists is how are you gonna what gives you that right first thing is what gives you that right seriously what gives you the right to deny all these people the chance of life and after that how are you gonna how are you gonna feed us i mean seriously there is there's so much more calories in meat than there are in plants and the amount of square acreage that you would require to get the same calories as like a cow, would just be enormous. So you basically want to send us back to the dark ages, is essentially what you want to do, where millions and millions of people are going to starve to death, and that's okay with you, because the climate, apparently. So I need to see some more conclusive evidence before I jump on this damn bandwagon. My, one, of my, ugh, one of the things that annoys me the most is everyone just loves to hit America. Like, we're this, this terrible country... And we're just polluting and clubbing baby seals and throwing Freon into the atmosphere. We're not. America's, America's CO2 emissions have been steadily going down over time. If America went all green, there are studies that show that it would change the world temperature by 0.3. You're really willing to tank an entire economy. The, the world, and potentially let millions of people starve so that you can change it by 0.3. Really. So you're going to try and tell me that this isn't about some form of wealth distribution? I mean, really? Come on. Come on now. So if this is really an issue, you know where Greta needs to be sailing? It's not to America. It's to India, and it's to China. China is the number one polluter of the ocean. It's... Its global CO2 emissions are through the roof. It, it signed the Paris Climate Accord and then built more fossil fuel plants. Like I, I don't know what else you want me to say, but apparently you want to come to America and tell us how terrible we are. Great. W- wonderful. If you really think this is an effort and you're really not just, just in it so that you can scream and shout about how evil America is and how jealous you are, Then go to China and go to India. That's where you need to go. Not America. My God. And I think there are some people that are incredibly, that really do want to change, have the world. There was a a guy I met at a summer camp that I worked at as a camp counselor. And he wants to go to China. He wants to go to these, these countries and help clean up. So good for him. That's the real fight. Not in America. My, my God. We need more innovation. More wealth. That'll drive better innovation and able and us able to produce better quality goods at cheaper prices, potentially using less land. That's what we need. More nuclear power. Yeah. I'll get off my I'll get off my soapbox of climate change. Okay, I people get I'm sure you guys are tired of that. So we'll we'll move on to force busing again. Yeah. Some of you might not know what forced kind of busing and segregation but it turns out that in america our schools are extremely segregated like i'm just gonna i'm gonna throw it out there like my where i went to school it felt segregated but there are no laws on the books right this isn't this isn't the 1960s and 70s we're not living under jim crow right so there's no laws on the books but it seems that there are schools 
that predominantly white people go to and predominantly black people tend to go to. I'm talking about like high schools, elementary schools. But one of the issues is I don't think that's some deep-seated racial animosity that people have towards one another. But that's, that's what people kind of seek to have. So there's this fascinating example over in Maplewood, New Jersey, and this is over according to the New York Times. And it says, and I quote, This suburb with high-performing schools seems to have a haven of diversity and progressivism. Signs that trumpet stigma-free town. Hate has no home here. Hang from lampposts and a series of fatal police shootings across the country. After a series of fatal police shootings across the country. Black Lives Matter are placards that are propped up on lawns. The average family income is about 120000 which is huge. And it's actually relatively diverse. I mean, 60% of the town is white so it's, it's a pretty it's an actual pretty diverse town but the but is i guess it's not diverse enough or it's not woke enough or it seems well i'll, ju- I'll just continue before i get kind of into my analysis but now a strategy to tackle racial inequality in the school district is challenging the town's self-image casting a harsh light on segregation and the stark achievement gaps between black and white students and raising pointed questions about race and class. So this very progressive, I would assume, and I know I'm making an assumption, democratic town is having some problems with segregation. And it's not like they're they're not enforcing segregation. Let's make that extremely clear. They're not enforcing any sort of segregation. This is people making decisions, right? And but this cuts against this cuts against any sort of leftist ideology that if they create this haven, then people are just all going to get along and work together and we're just going to become this gigantic mixing pot and look indistinguishable from each other. And unfortunately, as this town is learning, that that's not human nature. It's, it's really not. So the article goes on to say, black students in the district are, on average, adamantly, I might have a hard time. There's always one word each podcast that I have a difficult time. Academically, only one word each podcast I have a hard time saying. Academically, three grades behind their white peers and five times likelier to be suspended than white students, according to analysis in 2017. On state tests and math and and language arts, black students lag behind their white classmates in all seven elementary schools. And although the district has just one high school, white and black students have different experiences. White students make up about 64% of the students who took advanced placement courses at Columbia High School, a a, a pro-publica analysis found. While black students represented just 22%. In classes geared towards gifted and talented students, 83% of the seats were filled by white students compared with the 7% of seats filled by black students. So it seems that they're pointing to what might be considered discrimination, that more white kids are in higher level classes than black kids, and more black kids are more likely to get written up and all, this, and all these other things, and they're actually behind academically. So I'm a little confused, right? Is this, and the real question is, is this segregation, right? There's no one's enforcing this. This is all the students, their levels of achievement, right? This is all their levels of achievement. No one complains, uh, no one complains of the wealthiest ethnic group in America, Asians, who work their butts off and are, take school very seriously No one complains when they're in all these upper-level classes and they swamp colleges with applications, as they should, as they completely should. No one complains when that happens. But when it's a white versus black thing, then then it's it's racism, obviously. Obviously. It's got to be some form of racism or some form of of discrimination, apparently. Life life choices apparently cause, cause discrimination. So, at Seth Boyden Elementary School, which is a section of Maplewood that is less well-off than other parts of the district, 57% of the 522 students are black. 
The highest African-American enrollment in the town's other elementary schools is 18%. And I quote, to find a segregated elementary school in probably one of the most progressive towns in New Jersey, I mean, on the East Coast outside of New York, I don't know how it happened here, said Tom to Thomas Farica, who started the integration effort during the 20 months he served, intern as superintendent, before leaving in June. It was astonishing to me. And it is, right? It, is. it should be astonishing to them because they it's, – it's common on the left that they're just going to create this happy, wonderful, utopic society and everyone's just going to get along and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And then when these policies pop up – or not policies, but when human nature takes form and it turns out that people actually want to be around others that share their same values – and same cultural mores, that's somehow segregation, and that's somehow discrimination. And it's not. I mean, people intrinsically want to be around others that agree with them. That's easy to see in today's, in today's society, especially when we're starting to see huge levels of tribalism among the American population. It's easy to see why people, people want to be around others that agree with them. And share their same, their same views of the world. But apparently in this town, that's considered discrimination. The fact that some, some of these white students want to work harder and be filled in higher placement classes than their African-American counterparts. And that's not saying that I believe that these African-American students are dumb. They're, they're 100% not. I believe most of those kids are fully capable of getting into these upper placement classes. But where I think it really boils down to is the cultural importance that many parents place on schooling. And there is a difference between white and black communities. And that's where I think that we should be spending the most of our time. Not just throwing money at the issue because that hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. You can't just throw money at an issue and expect it to get better. But that's apparently what the left believes. They expect you just want to throw money at the issue and you want to get rid of upper placement classes because they're apparently discriminatory. So you want to hurt the higher achieving students on the, on the basic premise that because more white kids are in it, it's discrimination. N- no, it, it's not. It's not. It, th- these classes apply the same standard to everyone. So we, we, should be, we should be focusing on the cultural issues that separate us. Because it turns out that some cultures are actually better than others. Weird. Strange. Strange that cultures that actually encourage schooling and education and place an appointments on that tend to do better. Cough. The Asians. I mean, really. Props to them for doing, for becoming one of the most wealthy and most educated classes, ethnic groups in America. That's what they do. But no, no, one's, no, one, no one calls that discrimination. But apparently when it's white and black, they do. So what, what is the solution? What is, what is the solution to all of this? Well, obviously, we have to repeat the mistakes of the past. Uh, obviously. We have, to, we have to do busing. We need to do forced busing. The only way to fix this is to set racial quotas, which is, I mean, asinine. So the school district is aiming to address the educational disparities by adopting controlled choice. So not only busing, not only busing, but controlled choice. And what do you, you might be wondering to yourself, Nate, what, what is controlled choice? Well, I'll tell you. A system used elsewhere that is designed to ensure that schools reflect the community's demographic and economic makeup. <coughs> quotas. Parents won't be able parents would be able to rank their school's choices, but there would be no guarantee they would get their top pick. So really the school is going to determine not the school, the, I, I assume the local government will just determine the quota and distribute people accordingly. Doesn't matter how far people live from those from those schools and the fact that children will have to have to travel, have to travel to different districts to fit these quotas. That doesn't matter. We're going we're gonna to do it. This is what we're going to do. This has failed. 
Like, this, this has failed. But, of course, I guess no one reads anymore. No one recognizes the mistakes that were made when we did this. And this, this happened. And I'll go, I'll go into you. You might be wondering, Nate, you, you, know, you know you say this happened. But are you, are you going to tell us? Are you going to tell us? Yes. I'm going to tell you. So back in the 1970s, in an effort to desegregate, and again, I'm not saying back then, 1960s, 1970s, there were some serious segregation, serious segregational issues, especially when it was enshrined in law. So we should have. It was good that we that we kind of that we stepped in. I, I I actually I have a mixed bag of feelings about the government's role in all of it, but I mean it's atrocious what 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 we did back then, especially with Jim Crow and all these these terrible terrible. The KKK, all these terrible white supremacy groups. A special place in hell for those people. So in 1970s, in an effort to desegregate, we started busing kids, essentially long distances to meet racial quotas. So what happened? So as, as it's, it seems that as white families had to put their children on buses to travel sometimes for hours to get to schools, they left. That, that's essentially what happened. I mean, they, they straight up left. They moved to the summer, suburbs. It, it was coined white flight, essentially. And I'm not going to say that some of it wasn't a racism issue. I, the, the racism issue played, played a part, right? But I think a lot of it was also a discomfort with the government telling people where they should have their kids be educated. I think that, that's a huge issue, especially now. Especially now. Not saying that back then some of it was because of some racial animosity. That definitely happened. But even now, now it's much more about the government telling you where to have your kid go to school, which I think is ridiculous. So it caused this white flight and caused the loss of a tax base in these cities. So what happens when you lose your tax base? Well, I'll tell you. When you lose your tax base, you lose your money. Your money pool to draw from. So when you have publicly funded schools guess what gets cut the publicly funded schools so guess what got worse inner city schools great you did it high five y you did it you, you solved the issue by setting racial quotas and this is i'm probably exactly what's going to happen i'm sure these progressives over in new jersey are like oh no this can't happen to us this will be this will be totally fine no these kids want to travel for hours to to meet racial quotas that we determine top down well that'd be great so that's to just ignore human nature like that i think is i think is ridiculous i'm not saying that there is an issue but it seems that schools now are more segregated than they were but we're not all racist so there's there's something else to this right i mean th there re there really is and if you view the world that everyone's just a racist and that's that's the core mechanism of American history. Then, God, the world—the world must be a dark and scary place. Let me let me tell you right now. If you just—I was reading this article about how watermelon is now is racist, and I'm not again. I'm not saying that back then it had some racial stereotypes. It most definitely did. But even now, I mean, the saying that just because. Some woman, a uh, man comes up and offers you watermelon that somehow you shouldn't take it because that is a, he's really trolling you. That's, that's ridiculous. Come on now. I mean, we, I guess we can't be nice to each other. Whatever. Well, I wish, I wish, what, what was the town? Was Maplewood, New Jersey. I wish them luck. And I encourage bef them before they do this to open a history book. I think that would be w wonderfully. I mean, it was talked about all the last presidential presidential debate with joe biden and kamala harris so i think that yeah open it open a book and read what happened and then decide whether or not you think force busing is a good idea so moving on because today ends in day because the day this day of the week ends in day aoc is out on the attack on the offensive making instagram videos dancing on roofs y you know you know her it's alexander alex from the bronx oh yeah aoc so she almost complimented me almost unfortunately i'm not a millennial 
Yeah, I know. Lots of lots of crying in the background. I can hear hear everyone. I'm a Gen Zer, as in the cutoff is 1997, and I was born in 1997. So Miss Millennials by one year, which means I am the OG Gen Zer. I am the granddaddy of Gen Z. So you guys beware. All right, I I was I was making Gen Z cool before anybody else was. So you guys better. Respect your elders is all I'm saying. So in an Instagram video, she says, I think this new generation is very profound and very strong and very brave because they're actually willing to go to the streets, she said. Previous generations have just assumed that the government got it. Oh, okay, hold on a second. So I think that when she says that this new generation, I think she means millennials, in all honesty, because I think most of Gen Z is still in high school and still in middle school. So we haven't, I guess we haven't hit our prime protesting phase of life. So I think, I'm pretty sure she's talking about millennials. But that last line, previous generations have just assumed that the government got it. And they're really, really, the millennials are more, are braver than the men and women that, well, the men that went over and fought in World War II. They're, I guess, the millennials protesting. They want free college. They're somehow more brave than the veterans of World War II, who all beat the Nazis, one of the most evilest regimes on the planet. You know, they, other everyone else just assumed the government has it. That's just not true. I mean, what about the protests in the 60s for Vietnam? That that seems a little, a little ridiculous. It didn't seem like the civil rights movement they didn't they didn't trust that the government had it cuz they didn't so i'm i'm co- i'm confused why now the millennials are somehow the the best the best generation she goes on to say young people are more informed and dynamic than their predecessors they actually take time to read and understand our world history if by world history she just means everything that AOC agrees with as in America is a deep, dark, evil place, and that somehow makes you more informed and cool, then great, you did it, right? You cracked the code. You, you found out the eighth-grade knowledge that no one is perfect and America has done some bad things, and that somehow makes you cool and more informed. Like, come on. And I, I mean, I, I believe that. Like, I'm not going to get up here and tell you that I didn't believe that. Yeah, I watched this, that newsroom clip. That's it. Like, America isn't great anymore. We used to stand for something, and now we don't. And I was like, yeah, America's not great. That's a hot take. I'm cool because of that. And then I grew up, and I opened a book, and I went to other countries. And I was like, wait a second. No, America's pretty damn awesome. I'm glad to be an American citizen. So grow up, read a book, and go visit the world, and then compare and come back and tell me how terrible america is and it's and our generation or at least not my generation sorry the millennials are are not actually more informed i mean they're not so according to a 2008 study by the intercollegiate studies institute which surveyed more than 2,500 americans they found that only half the adults in the country could name the three branches of government really come come on guys the three branches of government you know, faith in the American people sometimes just hits all-time lows. So according to a 2014 National Assessment of Educational Progress report found that only 18% of 8th graders were proficient or above in U.S. history and only 23% in civics, which is sad because, I mean, you live in this, you really do live in a wonderful country. You should know our history for one thing. Second thing, you should know about all the bad stuff that happened. You really should, so that we can seek to avoid that. You shouldn't know it like New York Times style with the 1619, I think that's 1619 kind of project. You shouldn't know it in that style. I mean, I'm all, all for understanding slavery and the past evils America has committed. All for understanding that, but don't, let's not try and, say we committed these past injustices in the past therefore america's bad today and everything that happened bad in the past can somehow 
is equated to how we are today. Like, come on. Like, really? Really? So I'm, I'm all, all down for studying history. Just don't, come on, don't blow it out of context and understand what it's saying. Understand what history is trying to tell you. That there's good and bad. You should understand both. So, along with that, she released posters for the Green New Deal. And let me tell you one thing. I will be getting one of these posters. I don't know when, but I'm going to get one. Because, I mean, they're, Lenin would be proud of these posters. Let, let me tell you right now. Let me, let me tell you right now that these posters are pretty, they're pretty communist. I mean, they're, it's, they're quite funny. I mean, he's got this glorious uh, figure around trees and technology. It's 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 quite it's quite humorous. I will I will need to get one for our little our little podcast room. Um, this I think that I think that'll be a good idea. So I'm definitely I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna get one. So into some kind of lighter stuff, so you don't have to listen to me rant all the time about all these terrible situations and why I'm so angry today, which seems to be a common theme in my life. Let's talk about the upcoming hurricane. So Hurricane Dorian is expected to make landfall in Atlanta Monday, as long as we don't nuke it, of course, right? And so I always picture that conversation in my head of how we got there. And I, I feel like a Trump advisor came up, to, came up to Donald one day and was like, Trump, we should, we should activate FEMA and get ready for the upcoming hurricane. And he's sitting there um, doing his hair for hours. Okay, but what if we nuke it? And the White House analyst is like, well, you can't do that, but okay. And Trump's like, okay. I mean, I mean, come on. I, I feel like that's how the conversation went down. It's quite comical. If you're not looking at today's policies, politics as a little comical, I think, I think you're missing out. I, I mean, that's some qualities up. We're going to nuke hurricanes. Come on. Come on. So I, I had a good laugh. I had a good laugh when that, when that came out. So fascinatingly enough, FEMA actually keeps a close watch on Waffle Houses. And there's this thing. It's called the Waffle House Index. And many of you, I'm, I'm sure, have heard of the Waffle House Index. But I'm going to explain to you what the Waffle House Index is. The Waffle House has become almost like a, it's like a rough guidepost. The, um, the FEMA director, Craig Fergate, said, he told Fox Business, if it was open and had a full menu, we probably weren't in the worst hit areas yet. Such a scenario was marked green. So Waffle House actually takes great pride in being open under the worst circumstances. I mean, really, they, they do take pride. If you're a Waffle House employee and you expect to have like a snow day, uh uh-uh, that's not happening. Waffle House will serve waffles. They'll keep the skillets hot. So there might there might be full-blown riots happening outside. You know those Waffle House employees don't give a damn and they are willing to serve you some waffles. So I am I think I think it's actually hilarious. So the restaurants that have kind of a limited menu are usually tagged yellow, and restaurants that are closed are tagged red. And the ones that are still open are tagged green. And that gives FEMA an actual, an actual real-time, <laughs> real-time status on how bad areas are hit and whether or not Waffle House can get his food, which is, again, hilarious. So according to the New York Post, Waffle House actually had an emergency meeting today, Friday, to – Discuss plans to keep those skillets hot in Florida. And as of now, there are no signs of closing. And they say they're going to wait and see for the weekend, but they plan on keeping Waffle House open. And I have been to many a Waffle House in my life. The late night Waffle House, two in the morning Waffle House, driving back from the beach Waffle House. I, I, do, I do enjoy some Waffle House. So we'll have to we'll have to keep everyone updated on the Waffle House index and see which Waffle Houses actually actually cave in and are just not not strong enough. Only only the strong Waffle Houses will survive. So moving on to that in our our last kind of oh, I need a little bit of water there. Our last 
story here of Chicken Wars. It's not what you think. It's not. I'm not putting two chickens in a pen and having them fight. This this isn't this isn't that kind of chicken wars. I'm talking about chicken sandwich wars. Oh yeah. The the things that really matter in this society. So according to the Wall Street Journal, two weeks ago, Popeyes, Louisiana Kitchen released its new fried chicken sandwich. And it caught everyone's attention. And one customer was caught saying, it's like they're putting something inside the sandwich to get people hooked. He has had it over three times this past week. So something Popeyes is putting in there. It's just like Coke when they're putting cocaine in their drink. In their drink. Popeyes, the magical ingredients, bun, chicken, or fried chicken, breaded chicken, pickles, heroin. That's that is that is the Popeyes, the Popeyes new ingredient list. Well, this has sparked quite a quite a controversy, not really a controversy, but a a war between all the chickens. All the chicken places are ready to, to duke it out. So apparently, Popeyes has actually been developing this chicken spicy chicken sandwich for over two years, and actually outsourced to track down special flour. To bread the chicken sandwiches with. And I know you're what you're asking yourself. Nate, have you had one of these chicken sandwiches? Can you offer us your deep insight? As a chicken sandwich connoisseur, our deep insight into is these are these chicken sandwiches worth it? And I look would look at you dead in the windows of your soul, and I would have to confess that no, I have not had one of these chicken sandwiches. I have never been to a Popeyes. So KFC has clapped back. Oh, yeah, KFC, comes out with their new fried chicken sandwich and their Beyond Fried Chicken sandwich, which I'm calling it a sandwich. I don't even know if I call it a sandwich, right? I'm not calling it chicken. It's a Beyond Sandwich because it's not real meat. It's not chicken, so I'm not calling it a chicken sandwich. Beyond Sandwich. Beyond, yeah, Beyond Sandwich. That's what we're calling it. And, of course, Wendy's, the troll of the fast food industry, couldn't sit back in her corner quietly. Nobody leaves Wendy's in her corner. And they, they were quick to correct everyone that they were, in fact, the original spicy chicken sandwich producer. And they said, and I quote, there is no way we can sit this one out. I mean, of course, it's Wendy's. Come on. Come on. Their Twitter and Facebook profiles, whoever does their social media outreach on those profiles are hilarious. So love Love me some Wendy's, some Wendy's trollery. And, of course, other fast food restaurants are quick to jump into the frenzy. So McDonald's is now stating that coming up in September that they're going to get their own chicken sandwich. So a spokesperson for McDonald's says, JFK called for a man on the moon. Our call should be for a categorically leading chicken sandwich. So this is America's issue. It, I mean, it is. I mean, I I love chicken sandwiches just like the just like the next guy. And I'm excited to see this a chicken Sammy war. Very excited. So now the granddaddy of the chicken sandwich is ready to throw on the boxing gloves. Not on not in his Christian Minecraft server. Will will Popeyes be trolling him? So Chick Fil A, which hasn't changed its chicken sandwich since 1967 is apparently feeling the heat. Now, Chick-fil-A has been wildly successful. It's doubled its business since 2007 and sold over 2.3 billion sandwiches this past year. Billion sandwiches. That, that That's a lot. And I confess I haven't had a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A in at least a year. I, I go there for breakfast a lot. I really like the, I really like the chicken minis. I've, got, I've actually gotten a catering tray of just chicken minis. And if you're wondering, yes, it was 50 chicken minis, and me and my little brother ate it in one sitting. It was glorious. Loved it with the Chick-fil-A sauce. Took us a while, but we did it. It was, it was really nice. So on August 12th, so Popeye's drops their chicken sandwich on August 9th. And I think on August 12th, Chick-fil-A tweeted out kind of an addition little map and i'm gonna get video don't worry don't worry people we're gonna get video so you can see my bright shining face we're gonna get that it'll come in a couple weeks so i'm gonna get it tweeted out bun plus chicken plus pickle equals love 
And so Popeyes retweets, y'all good? Question mark. Y'all good? So <laughs> apparently Popeyes thinks Chick-fil-A was quite quite angry that they're being they're being clapped back about their chicken sandwich, as they should be. As they should be. So this is this has sparked quite quite the quite the rage. And people so now Popeyes is actually sold out of chicken sandwiches. Completely sold out. They projected that they could make it through September. They've sold out, period. And people are selling Popeyes chicken sandwiches in their original wrapper on eBay. Yes, this is the country we live in, and I am totally okay with it. I I am so okay with it. I think I think that's amazing. I really think that's amazing. And this really shows the power of social media and a little friendly competition. And I hope it continues. I hope I'm excited for all of the chicken sandwiches blogs and reviews that are going to come out about this. I'm I'm oh I'm so excited. It's going to be it. Oh, there's so much there's so much to look forward to upcoming in September. I got the Democratic national debate. I got just chicken sandwiches all over the place. And yes, I, I will be I will be trying, I will be trekking my way to a Popeyes, which I've never been to, and eating a chicken sandwich. For you, for the people. I'll do it for the people. I'll raise my fist to the sky like Malcolm X and I'll I'll do it for the people. So it'll be good. I'm I'm pretty excited. So that just about wraps up our podcast for today i wouldn't say our my podcast there's nobody else there's nobody else here today so this wraps up my podcast for today this is going to be kind of kind of a typical thing on thursdays it'll be just me kind of spouting my nonsense apparently if i can if i i will i will seek to get people to interview of course i'm small enough at the moment that if you have any comments just leave a leave a little comment on our facebook page and i am totally willing to address it and hey, you could potentially come on the show. I, I would have no problem with that. I think that would be. I think that'd be a ton of fun. It's it's very rare that I actually get to cut my own kind of mind against someone who doesn't agree with me. I think it's I think it's quite rare, and I think it's a conversation that a lot of people need to be having. We need to be having more conversations. This stuff's really important. So of course, if you think I'm just crazy, then leave us a like anyway that'd be that'd be cool and hopefully coming up we will get approved by itunes it's been a week so i need to i need to start really looking at this kind of stuff and hopefully next week towards the end of next week i'll be dropping a website i'll be i'm writing a lot for it right now so i'm dropping a website next week and probably in the next two or three weeks i'll get we'll get video up We'll get a YouTube channel going, get some video up, have a have a real good time. Now that I'm now that I'm not already slaving away for everyone now on a Friday night where I should be going out, but I will slave away even more for the people, even more. So that being said, this was drawing the line, and I hope everybody has a wonderful night. I am going out. I am going to going to make some friends and go to some breweries here in Charlotte. So I hope everyone has a safe night.